0: or we look at this Christmas season, we see the, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the patience of God, the long-suffering of God. We see a God that is true to what Scripture says about him. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He hates to send judgment. He loves to bless his people. And last week we saw in John, I think it was John 6:50, that Jesus is speaking. He's talking about him being the bread of life. And he says, he says that he, is, he, he actually is saying this. We read it all. We would, we would know this is what he's saying. So we're not taking this out of context. Jesus is actually saying, I am the bread of heaven. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Which, you see that underlined word there? I love that. Which anyone may eat. Which anyone may eat. And live and not die. What a beautiful promise. And I think that promise is seen probably not any more clearly. Then in the Christmas story, we look at the Christmas story and we see that this message really is for everyone, for all people. We see that uh, the Jewish people, and remember Jesus said, I came first to the lost sheep of Israel. I came first to the lost sheep of Israel. And when you're reading through the New Testament, you'll see phrases like this to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Now, most of us here, if not all of us here, are probably Gentiles we weren't born as Jews. And we may say, well, that doesn't seem fair, but it is fair. And it's just because the Bible says this, that the hardworking farmer should be the first to eat of his harvest. And the Jewish people kept alive this Messiah that was going to be born for generations, for millennia, that one day we would have the privilege of Gentiles to be brought into the family through Jesus. So we see that it's open to the Jewish people. It's open to the young and the old. Remember uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, would be... She was a younger person. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, is going to have a child, and she's older. Now, they don't call her old. I like how the Bible says she was well along in years, okay? Now, that sounds better. Well along in years. So we know that she was older, and she's going to give birth to uh, a young man named John that we will call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, and so... You got the young and the old, you have the Jewish, you have the religious leaders. Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband, is a priest. And he's probably very learned and very educated, and he's in the, the Jewish leadership system. But then it's open to other Jewish people too. Joseph, who's betrothed to Mary, he uh, is part of the welcome that God's sending out a message to everyone. And he's a blue-collar worker, probably like most of us here. He's a blue-collar worker who, who's a carpenter and a tradesman, and the invitation is open to him. Other Jewish people around the community. Guess what? The invitation first comes to shepherds, just probably probably a high percentage of shepherds were uneducated people. They're just hardworking people out there trying to eke out a meager living on the Bethlehem hillsides, and they're the first ones that get an invitation to the Christmas story. So God doesn't mind your 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 age, your your whether you're a religious leader or just a, a. daily worker, or whether you're educated, uneducated, any of that. But then he reaches out beyond that, which is also the promise in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so God shows us that in the Christmas story, because in the Christmas story, there's, he, he poises a, a, a star, and he's drawing, guess why he's drawing people from the east, from, from Asia, and these people are learned, they're, they're, we call them wise men, they're well educated, uh, they're well connected. They are also probably pretty wealthy or well subsidized because they go on a multi-year journey to find this Christ child. Let me tell you something else about them. They're pagans. Now that don't sound like a very kind word, but they're just not somebody who, who worships the God of Israel. But if you know the story, they're going to find King Jesus and they're going to worship him. And so he's calling people from afar. Even the invitation went out to a Roman leader, Herod. He could have been invited into the Christmas story, but jealousy and fear kept him from wanting to participate. So we have all this going on. We have people, whether they were living in a shepherd's tent or in a king's palace, they're all invited into this story. You have the rich and the poor, the young and the old, uh, the religious leaders, the not-so-religious, the, the Romans, the Asians, you know, God's got an invitation out to the whole world. So Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, anyone, anyone. The invitation is going out to anyone. And God is so gracious and kind to us that this Christmas story just reveals some beautiful, beautiful things. And so that's our, our message for today. Christmas, a child is born. Everyone around the Christmas story is invited to enter into what Jesus said in John 6:50. They're, in, they're invited to taste the bread of heaven. They're invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, for many years, I don't know why, it's probably just because of the nativity scenes, I thought a manger was a place you put a baby. I thought it was a crib. And then we find out later, I know probably all of you know this now, but a manger is a feeding trough. And I think God loves symbolism, and this is just me, I think God has a sense of humor. And he said, you know what would really be cool? Let's put the bread of heaven in a feeding trough to show that this, we will eat of him. We will eat of the Savior of the world. And so this amazing birth, uh, Christmas, a uh, child is born is a miracle of what we already talked about, the incarnation, the incarnation, that God is going to clothe himself in a human body and he's gonna become the savior of the world. Now, it's a a timeless story. It's a story the whole world needs to know. Don't be afraid to share the story. We need to live it, talk about it 24-7, not just around the Christmas season, but 24-7. And for decades, my family, there's a farm that's been the family forever. Grandfather had it. His son had it. His son's son's son now has it. And so for, for decades, we gathered on Christmas Eve, and before any gifts were open or anything was done, the, you know, the people would eat. By the way, this, as a little kid, because there's, there's gifts under that tree, skip the eating. You know what I mean? I really felt like that. And I thought, all oh, these old people. Now, I want to tell you what old people are to a seven-year-old. Anyone who wants to sit at the table and eat and talk. I mean, if they're 18 or 20, they're old people. Wish these old people would get done talking so we can get to it. And so then we would read the Christmas story. Always Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20, out of the King James Bible. And that's probably where most of us are familiar with the Christmas stories out of the King James Bible because of traditions like that and because of Charlie Christ Christmas. You know, Linus, we did that last, last year. Linus read the Christmas story out of the King James Bible in Luke, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. And so we're going to look at that today. Luke chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, some of your Bibles will use the that there's a census, and that, that's true. It was a census. Now, the ultimate, one of the purposes of the census was to find out who they could tax. So that's not a bad translation, either one of them. And what happened is everybody had to go to their hometown. That's how they performed the census in that time. And so you followed your family lineage, and now the Jewish people were super, super big on, on the family tree. The, the, you didn't have to, you know, log into Ancestry.com back then. The family would know all the way back. And so wherever your family was originally from, whether that would be Jerusalem or Capernaum or Tiberias or, or Bethlehem, you would all, everybody that belongs in that family line would get back to that town. And so people are moving everywhere to go back to their town. And here it says, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his, his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. It's a prophetic word that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. I I don't know how God orchestrates everything. He's brilliant. It's not hard for him at all. But I can tell you this, if it wasn't for a Roman census, if it wasn't for the Roman taxation thing, I'm quite confident that Joseph and Mary would not have decided, let's just get on a caravan while you are great with child and head to Bethlehem. They would not have done that. But there's a prophecy that needs to be fulfilled, and this is going to get Mary to Bethlehem. And it says that Joseph also went up out of Galilee, and he was unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. If you look at at Joseph's family tree down far enough and Mary's family tree down far enough, they both go back ultimately to King David, which is another prophecy. The, hey, King David, the Lord said, you will always have a king on your throne. And there's a throne and there's a king and his name's Jesus and he's on that throne and no one's going to kick him off the throne. And you know, when we were kids, we played king of the mountain. Jesus is king of the mountain <laughs> and there's nobody going to throw him off the king of the mountain. He is king. He's on that throne. That prophecy is fulfilled. He said he went to there because he's was of the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angels, just a single angel at this time, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. They were painfully scared, that's how deep this fear hit them, when this angel appeared to them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, which what they always say, and it's easy for them, fear not, fear not, now, it's funny, because I say, oftentimes, I think this is one of my favorite verses, but then I realize I have like a thousand favorite verses in the Bible, but this is one of my favorite verses, uh, just in the overall salvation story, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That's good news. I bring you good tidings, not just joyful tidings. I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for what? All people. All people. Which shall be for all people. Now, now here's where a shift happens. I never even thought about this till years ago. Somebody was talking to me, and they said this. I knew God loved me because he loved the whole world generically but I didn't know God loved me personally. See, somehow early on, I knew God loved me personally. So when I heard that, I, thought, I didn't know people thought like that. I didn't know people just thought, well, I, I'm not special. I'm just generically loved because God loves everybody. And since I'm part of everybody, then he has to love me. But God loves you individually. And it shifts right here because we go from this generic global love of God. This, shall, this, this Savior shall be for all people. To look how the next verse starts. For unto, what's the next word? You. You. For unto you, very personally, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we go from this global love of God to this individual love of God. And, And we get it in a small scale if you're a mother or a father because I love my kids. That's globally speaking. But I have a passionate love for every single one of them. I have a deep abiding love for every single individual My kids, I hope, never think, well, of course, you know, mom and dad love me because they have to love their kids. No, we love them individually, specifically, specially. We would die for each one of them individually, specifically, especially for each one. And so we see that in God here. I love the group, but I love each one individually as well. How can he do that? Because God's capacity is unlimited, and we see that in this story. So then it says, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. That word Christ, uh, the the Hebrews would understand the word as Messiah. Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now it's important for, for God to say that because we sometimes think the only baby that was born in Bethlehem that night was Jesus. But I suspect the mass of people that accumulated in Bethlehem That There was probably multiple births that went on that night. So the angel saying, don't just come to the first baby you see. Here's the sign. They'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes, and they'll be lying in a manger. That's the specific baby I want you to find. And it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. We sang that in Latin today. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, and it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste. They hurried. They didn't, you know, we would say this in the country. They didn't dilly-dally. You know, I, I want to encourage you They Come to Jesus with haste. He, he's a great Savior. Don't say, well, after I do this and... After I do that, and when I get a little older, see what happens is when we say, I'm going to delay because i got things I want to do, I know this. We don't understand how awesome Jesus is. There's just no way. He's the treasure in the field, that when somebody found the treasure in the field, they went and sold everything they had. They gave everything up to have that field so they could have that treasure. Jesus is the treasure in the field. And so there are times where Jesus, the Lord says he's having a big banquet and he invites everybody and some said, well, I would like to come, but, you know, I just bought some oxen. And so I need to try out my oxen. Oh, I'd like to be in the house of the Lord, but I got a new car this weekend. I want to try it out. Oh, I'd like to come, but you know what? I just bought a field and I need to go check it out. I'd like to come, but I just got married. And so I'm not going to be there to your banquet. But I'll tell you what, if you understand how glorious the banquet is, if you understand how glorious the banqueteer is, then you will be like the shepherds who with haste went to see the things that was told to them. And it says, let us go now even into Bethlehem, see this thing which has come to pass. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child and all they that heard it. Because the message can't just be live. Sometimes we say, I I don't really talk about God. I just live it. Well, that's so critical. And I say, don't stop that but there's also a time to use our voice. Romans 10 says that the salvation, uh, salvation comes by people hearing about the salvation message. You can put that on your note to, to read that, Romans 10. It's all about, there's words, there's preaching, there's proclaiming, there's sharing, there's telling that has to be done. And that telling builds up faith. And here it said, and they just told them concerning the child and all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now this is no ordinary birth. This is no ordinary child. I'm going to look at something, maybe make a connection to the, to the Christmas story that you may have never made before. Now I want you to see the power of this and the promise of it. And understand how Christmas opened up something for us that we had never experienced before and which had never been experienced on earth before until Jesus came as the Savior of the world. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, John the disciple whom Jesus loved. We, we in our family, my, one of my, Mitch sent me something the other day, I never noticed that. But the book of John says that he's the disciple that Jesus loved, Yeah. And John's the one that wrote that. I said, yes, that's correct. Isn't it nice? you got such a great relationship with Jesus. You're confident? I'm not even going to use my name Now, some people say it was out of humility he said that. It very well could have been, and that would probably be most likely, that he didn't want to use his name. But it's cool. Instead of using your name, you say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, the disciple whom Jesus loved wrote these words about Jesus, and they're really Christmas messages in the Gospel of John in, in chapter 1. Let's look at it. We look at it with some regularity because it's so powerful and so important. But in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, the Word has a capital W. You'll hear me say this every time because it's a person. Now, if this was the first time ever reading the Bible and we didn't know anything about the story, we would read that and say, okay, here there's a Word person here. I don't know who this Word person is, but let's read on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we say, okay, this is pretty cool. The Word was with God. And the Word was God? Huh. Okay. So here's God, here's the word, the word is God, okay? Now you may say, I have a real hard time getting my mind around that. That's because God's big. I'm serious about that. We, we sometimes say, if, if, if I can't understand on an intellectual level, then I'm not going to believe it. But that's really not true. I There's so many things on planet Earth I don't understand on an intellectual level. But I enjoy it. I got the basic concept of the combustion engine, but I'm not worried about understanding it completely. I turn the key, start the car, go. I I'm still marvel at the idea that in this room it's filled with TV shows and radio stations and everything else, and I got a basic understanding of how that works, but I still don't say, until I learn this out thoroughly, I'm never gonna watch a TV show or listen to the radio. No, I'm, we, we don't understand everything, and God's so big it's hard for us to get our minds around, and even Paul told Timothy, Great is the mystery of godliness. i got to say, Timothy, you're right. It's hard to get your mind around. He, he, God was born in the flesh, vindicated by the angels, uh, you know, solidified by the Spirit, and so it's a big deal. So here is God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in this Word, whoever this Word person is, which we're going to discover in a minute, in him was life, and that life was the light of all things. Mankind. Verse 9, and the true light that gives light to everyone is co- was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. That's the Jewish people. By the way, we do know that many, many, and thousands, and thousands of Jewish people came to know Christ, but it wasn't a sweeping revival through, through the land, that a high percentage, but a small percentage of Jews did believe, priests believe. Uh, Lots of people believed, so I'm not saying no one. And yet, 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 yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I say this every time, and I will continue to say it every time, because the world wants to say we're all God's children. We are not all God's children according to Scripture, we are all God's creation. We're not all God's children. It's defined right here. I'm not making that up. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, then he defines this. This is, this is where Christmas and us collide here. Children born not of natural descent. In other words, you can't pull out an a ancestry chart to chart this descent of your spiritual new birth. There's no charge, no website to get to. There's no app to download. It wasn't of natural descent, nor of human decision. How many young couples get together? And it's fine. They say, hey, you know, let's get set in our jobs and get things going in a couple of years. We'll start a family. That's a human decision. When we're born as children of God, it's not from a husband's will. It's not from a wife's will. But we are, catch this, it's a powerful verse. We are born of God born of God. Now, we're going to make this connection here, and I hope it will bless you and give you some confidence in who you are in Christ and, and what all God's empowered you with. And then in 14, it says, and the word become flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now, that's a great translation, so I'm not picking on it, but I want to use the word begotten. It's not a word that we use a lot, but you remember how we learned John 3:16? for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The King James here would say, begotten of the Father. It's a great word. It means it came from the Father. Begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if we read on, we would see that uh, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus, and that as John wraps up this chapter, it's obvious with no question that the person in verse 1, the word, and Jesus are the same. Now I do I do want to differentiate this between us. It, and when he was the word eternally, he was not running around in a human body. Do you, you get that? But there was a point in historical time that he became incarnate, the God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. There's so many things bouncing through my head right now that if I'm not careful, I'll teach a totally different message about this beautiful thing. Hebrews is full of stuff. We, we were in Adam, all in Adam die, but all who are in Christ have eternal life. Wow. Okay, calm down. I'm going to get back on track here. Okay. Begotten of the Father. Now, I want to, I want to deal with this for just a second. Begotten and created are not the same thing. Begotten and created are not the same thing. If I had the skill set and the ability and I walked out to my garage and I found a big pile of wood and some hammer nails and saws, and when I went for a little bit, I might create a bookshelf. I don't beget a bookshelf, I create a bookshelf. My children, Darlene and I, begat them. They were begotten through us, because when something is begotten, it is of the same essence of that which begat it. Okay, you got that? Okay. So my children, scientifically, you could do their DNA, and they would say, they may not use this word, but they say, these kids were begotten of Tracy and Darling McIntyre. They're made of our substance. They're begotten of us. They weren't created, they were begotten. Guess what? We human beings at the start were created. So we're all creation. If you go back to the garden, God took the dust of the earth and created man. He created man from the dust of the earth. Now, some people have this fallacy that, that Lucifer, Satan, and Jesus are in a cosmic tug of war and neither one can hardly win and, you know, there's this big battle going on. But I want you to know this. The scripture clearly portrays that Jesus has soundly and utterly defeated the devil. And if you went to Ezekiel 28, you would find out when it's describing Lucifer, the devil, it says, in the day that you were created. Lucifer is created. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is is God in a human body. That, that's, I know you're going, wow, my mind's about to explode. That's how cool God is. The Bible says about Jesus, says, all the fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form. Now, this is the Christmas message, but what does the Christmas message open up for us? Well, let's think about that. Through Jesus, we are born of God. Through Jesus, we have a duality going on this. We are, we are of, of Adam's seed, human, you know that. But through Christ, we have eternal life. So we have this duality going on this. We, we have an earthly body, but we're filled with Christ. If you're a Christian, the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's been a deposit seeded in you of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, okay, well, where are we going with this? Well, I, I want you to understand this. I'm very man and very God. Now, please hear this because I, I, this is how most evil newscasts are done or podcasts or snippets. They take one little piece of something and they say, look what he's saying. He said they're all God. Okay, I want to make this plain. I'm not God. You're not God. You're not the word. You're not the savior of the world. You're not any of that. But but watch what happens here. It's almost the a flip side of what happened. Jesus. The word is God. And he. Became flesh. So. His. Godness. Got. Wrapped up with a human body. I started this journey off. As a human body. But I got. Possessed by God. And. And Hebrews goes on. And talks about how. We're. Children of God. How we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Now. Am I saying you're God? No. Am I saying you're the Savior of the world? No. But what I am saying is you and I have had a deposit made in us of God. God, which gives us power in our prayer life, which gives us hope in our belief system, which gives us victory through hard times. It, It helps us to overcome and sustain ourselves through trial and testing and tribulation and brokenness and all the stuff that's in the world around here. See, Jesus began as God and was born as a man. I began as a man but got born of God. And this earthly side of me is going to fall away one time. I did a funeral Saturday of a believer who's rejoicing in heaven right now. And the last enemy was destroyed in his life. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death now no longer has any fear or hold over him. He is alive, alive, alive in Jesus. So I want you to know that you and I are born of God. And that possibility to be born of God came through Jesus. That Jesus left the glories of heaven, the word left the glories of heaven, was birthed in Bethlehem one day, and we beheld God. We beheld God. And Jesus gave us a possibility to become God-like, in our essence, and in our hearts, and in our lives. I don't know if you had a rough week this week. Maybe you did. don't know if you ever have a rough time, a rough week. Your behavior wasn't quite up to snuff. And, And by the way, I'm not promoting that. But we are still very much of Adam as well. And that's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. That's the same thing in our Christian walk. We have to say of ourselves, my Adam side needs to decrease. And the Jesus side needs to increase. And so it's a lifelong journey of doing that. But maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you say to yourself, I don't even know if I'm right with God anymore. I don't know. I had a bad week. I said some wrong things. I did some wrong things. It was, it was awful. Well, I would have to ask you this question. Have you genuinely given your life to Jesus? Now, if you just determine upon examining yourself, not really. I just go to church every now and then. Then you have reason to be concerned. But if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the deposit of God in you. And so God will never reject himself. God will never reject himself. And so if there's a struggle in you because you said, I really should have lived differently this week, I want to say this, that's a good sign that God's in you because your behavior cut against the grain of how you behaved. You used to live that way and brag about it on Sunday morning. Are you with me? But now you say that cut against the grain of who I am because God has been deposited within you. You have a, a certain, I, I got to say this carefully, I, I know those of you who know me know, know where my heart is, but maybe there's somebody listening online or maybe it's the first time you've heard me and you wonder what is he trying to say. But, but listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is the living stone and we too like living stones... It wasn't an accident that he used the same word. We, too, like living stones, are being built together to become a habitation, a dwelling place for God to live in by his spirit. And so we are more than just an old, broken-down human being. (laughs) We are human beings possessed by the life of God, which only became possible through the Christmas story that Jesus gave his life for us, left the glories of heaven, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's what Philippians says. But rather made of himself as a servant, made himself nothing. Somebody said to me one time, and I talked about that, I said, I don't like you said Jesus was nothing. I said, I did not say Jesus was nothing. I said, Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant. He laid all that aside. And then the Bible says he was exalted beyond measure. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess to the glory of God. It's it's a Christmas story is such a beautiful and powerful story. It's the power to live right, the ability to pray with power, to endure through hardships, to be victorious in battle. Oh my goodness. I wish I could remember the names of these two early saints that are being burnt at the stake. You would know the name if I could remember it. Two of them are being drug out to be burnt at the stake because they won't deny Jesus. And I just remember this one line. The one Godly saint says to the other, Play the man, brother, for today we will burn for Jesus. I thought, Wow, what what can make you endure that? God, only God, only being possessed by God, and to do it with joy, it's crazy. There's a certain power that I believe God gives in certain martyrdom situations where the glory of God, Stephen. Being martyred, which means murdered for his faith. He's being murdered for his faith, and his face is shining like an angel. And he says, do not lay this sin to their charge. The heavens are open. He's, they see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. It's, it's amazing the power that we have in God because we have been birthed by God. So people may say this. Now, this is a responsibility for us to make sure that we are keeping our lives going in a growth pattern with Jesus, but sometimes, maybe your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have a history of being, you know, not such good people. And so they find out who you are and they go, oh, goodness. Because they're looking at your natural descent. And they say, great-granddad was a bum. Their granddad was a bum. Their dad was a bum. They're a bum. Oh, no, because I'll tell you what, I got, I, got a new, I got a new ancestry chart now. <laughs> i got a new ancestry chart. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. They're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. And we need to pursue that and say, hold on, that's not who I am. That's not what I am. I totally get that seeing great-granddad and granddad and dad being a bum and living like a bum and acting like a bum, talking like a bum can have impact on you, but that's where you say, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. My natural descent and genealogy must not increase, it must decrease. Hallelujah. Well, this week, you're probably going to have a whirlwind of activity. When we show up next week, on next Sunday morning, it will be post-Christmas. Christmas is this Saturday. I am hoping that there may be a little Christmas spirit still left in you next Sunday, that there may be a little joy still left in you, as I know there will be. But it's actually on Saturday when Christmas will happen, and this week could be a whirlwind of activity, shopping, you know, Wrapping, gift buying, school parties, church parties, you know, business parties, office parties, all those things. And so all that activity can almost like squelch out the joy of the Lord. I want to encourage you to relax in the Lord. Enjoy the journey. And just go be Jesus everywhere. And I do want to encourage you, if there is a, a gathering that you have authority over, that you're in charge of, put Jesus front and center. Put Jesus front and center. Now, I get it that if it's not, you're in charge of it, that, that you don't have the authority to do that. But if you've got the authority to do that, put Jesus front and center. But you know what you do have the authority of? To enter into any gathering and be the light of Jesus. To let Christ Jesus shine out of your life. And how you live and what you think, how you talk, where you, what you do. And let Jesus be the real focus of the season. The festivities, the parties, they're wonderful. By the way, I'm not one to uh, you know, dismiss a, a good godly celebration and festival. So enjoy them. Enjoy the beauty of the season. And enjoy the, the lights. Enjoy. I, I told Darlene, we, we were up in Greenwood the other day, I said, let's take a walk through the mall just to see the festive lights and what's going on. So we took a walk through the mall. What did we buy? Nothing, exactly. But we took a walk through the mall. It wasn't quite as festive as I remember it being. It's been a few years since I walked through the mall. But I just want to enjoy it. As your family gathers around, just absorb it. Look at it. Be blessed. What, whatever level your celebration is on, just enjoy it. And when you look around, you say, you know what, I really am blessed, and I really have a lot going on in my life. Let's honor what Deuteronomy 8 says. Deuteronomy 8 says, when you look around, you see all these blessings. Here's all I want you to do, God says, just thank the Lord. Just praise the Lord. Just bless the Lord. You don't have to grovel, crawl through broken glass on your hands and knees. You just look around, you say, wow, that was a great meal, great celebration, great festivities. What a great time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord for all the goodness that surrounds us. See, we can thank God for his indescribable gift, the indescribable gift of Jesus coming into the world. And then the also this indescribable gift. Because I'm serious, this never existed on planet Earth before. God living in us. The Holy Spirit would come upon the prophet, the priest, the king in the Old Testament. But Jesus said, Hang out in Jerusalem, for there's a gift coming that I told you about that the Father promised. And after that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the world. And then we find not only does the Holy Spirit come upon us, but the Holy Spirit is in us. That's never existed before. It's something that the the Bible calls the church, the body of Christ exists. And we're part of that. So here's our assignment for the week. Like the wise men, never take your eyes off of Jesus, who guides our life as a star guided the magi. Use this season to reset yourself to true North, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the one who starts and finishes our faith. And I would really like for you to meditate on this this week. Wow. I'm not Jesus, I get that that I am a child of God, and that although God filled a human body, God took my human body and filled it with his presence. It's not exactly the same, because we're not God, but we have a God essence in us. And when we think like that, it should change the way we pray, the way we believe, the way we hope, the way we share, the way we live our lives. Let's pray together.